and welcome to Super Excited with Stefan Roost. I'm Mike, the facilitator of this podcast. In this episode, Stefan talks to Yosef Shaftal. Yosef Shaftal is executive director at the Israeli Blockchain Association, where he helps businesses of all types and sizes with understanding, implementing, and taking advantage of blockchain. In this episode, Stefan and Yosef discuss the natural selection of the bear market, that reputation is everything, L1s, and tokenization. Enjoy this episode. Hey, everybody. I'm super excited to be back, and this time with an amazing counterparty on this call. So I'm really extra super excited. Now we have to change the title to extra super excited for this event uh, with Yosef. Yosef uh, Shaftal from um, the Israeli Blockchain Association. And by the way, just a precursor, I'm in Zurich and I'm wearing a shirt because I got a really important meeting today with some institutions that really want to subscribe to Truflation. So that's why I'm super smart, uh, unusually so. But nothing about me. Yosef, uh, thank you for being here and, and really happy uh, to have you here. Hey, man, it's an honor to be here with you, man. Looking forward to this. Yeah, no, you, you, you know, I, you and I met about it's nearly a year ago, um, and or or maybe yeah, and we hit it off right away. And I was always really impressed by your marketing prowess, um, your your you know your business acumen. You've been in crypto. You're super connected around this, and you love economics, right? You love the whole macro and economic scene. So. Um, that's sort of how, how did you get involved with the Israeli blockchain? What was your first steps into, into the blockchain world? And, and maybe share a bit on uh, your background and, and who you are. Sure, with pleasure. Actually, it's interesting, but I also have one of those moments that I think everybody has when the first time we heard about crypto and Bitcoin and we thought that it was just something that was like, you know, a fad or whatever. For me, that story is actually in 2009, 2010, when I was a precious metal trader uh, out in the States. And uh, had one of my clients that told me he wanted to, he, there's this digital gold, it's called Bitcoin. What are your thoughts on that? And I thought, come on, that's garbage. Who cares about it, right? So that was my first touch, basically, in, back in 2009. And ever since then, it's been a story of, wow. you know, the evolution, watching this grow has been definitely amazing. And uh, with the Israeli Blockchain Association, it was about two years ago when I got started, when I joined the team, and, you know, I'm leading it right now. And, you know, we're basically a consulting firm that uh, anything that's dealing with blockchain, whether you're a startup that's just looking to explore the ideas all the way to some blue-chip big-name companies, some of them are Fortune 500 as well, they need any help and guidance on their Web3 strategy, crypto strategy, so forth and so forth, we're here to help them out, and that's been sort of like our... Uh, main uh, focus over the past years. Yeah, well, I think on that note, one thing, you know, you start, remember it started in 2009, it went from Bitcoin, and we had then cryptocurrencies, we went to the blockchain, and now we're Web3. How do you feel from your, with your marketing sort of understanding? What, what's that evolution? How did that come about? And why do you think we've changed the name so often associated with the projects and technology that we're working with? That's actually a very good question. It's actually what's interesting is that uh, the narratives of me, like sort of like watching it, first there was Bitcoin, and then there was everybody that tries to be Bitcoin. 
and then yeah. they failed and because colored coins failed Vitalik thought of ethereum and then the next cycle started that everybody wanted to do a better ethereum you know what i mean and now we're sort of at the stage where everybody wants to do better decentralized applications than what's available right now but we definitely do see that evolution happening and in the beginning you're right it was all about coins right Nobody was even calling yeah. Bitcoin, Bitcoin. It was called coin, right? All over the world. It was the coin, coin, coin. And now you see basically it turned into Web3, which is interesting because you see so many founders that are like coming from Web2 world, you know, that had their $100 million exits and so forth, billion dollar exits even, right? That come yeah. to us to yeah. chat with us. And they don't call it crypto. They call it Web3. And when you go into more detail and talk like a crypto, they don't understand crypto. But they all believe that Web3 is the future, right? And I find it kind of good angle, you know what I mean? A scalable angle that we didn't have until now. So, you know, thank you, yeah. Gavin Wood, for coining the term, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty amazing. It's sort of all of a sudden it's, it's sort of legitimized the whole sort of cryptocurrency that was always sort of had a bit of a, a negative connotation. If you call it Web3, all of a sudden it's like, yeah, it, it's, it's now sort of somewhat you know, sort of acceptable and the enterprise can adopt a Web3 strategy, right? 100%. So it was like, I was actually talking about it uh, a couple of weeks ago. I was like, yeah, man, you know, how do you bring, how do you scale something that has this bad reputation? And, you know, all this, yeah. like uh, it started off, it was not the best reputation in the world, only like select few individuals were using it, right? And then yeah. it went through like additional circles and circles and circles that additional layers of people just came in all over and over again. And Finally, you got the name Web3 that everybody can feel, understand, relate to. And, you know, I guess that's why people are so excited about it. So it's a, definitely a big check mark for uh, coining out the term. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. I think one, one thing that, that I, I also find, right, I mean, given where we're at, right, and, and your exposure in terms of dealing with small startups, with, with bigger enterprise uh, that are looking at, at Web3 or blockchain technologies, how do you feel given, you know, we've just come into, you know, we've been actually in crypto land, we've been in a bear market for about a year now, right? And, um, but in fiat world, it's been compounded with um, the whole, you know, sort of financial and economic and supply chain um, issues that are taking place. How do you find the market at the moment? And, and have you seen some sort of changes in, in the companies you're interacting with? You already mentioned the Web3 companies from Web2 entrepreneurs moving into this area. But have you already also seen a sort of other changes or trends that you're seeing happening right now? Absolutely. One thing that's for sure is that, like, you said that we've been in the bear market for about a year. I'd say that it's actually longer than that. Because the Q3 okay. of last year, Q4 of last year, I called it as a fake out, basically. Fake out, fade yeah. out type of thing. And uh, it's been happening because there was the reason why the Q3, Q4 bull market happened last year was basically because of the GameFi hype that was created, right? And since then, yeah. we saw a major collapse in GameFi in general to the point where, you know, people have raised billions of dollars in funds, but they just don't deploy it because it's hard to deploy because it's a, such a unproven concept, right? And um, this is the reality right now that, you know, that's what's happening. Now, on another note, a year and a half ago, a year ago, you were dealing with a lot of mediocre teams. And when you had a super team, it was like, wow, 
Wow, what a super team. And back then, mm -hmm. like, mediocre teams were getting funding very, very easily, you know. You just had to be doing something and go into the primary market to raise money, and you'd be oversubscribed within 24 hours if you were somebody, right? And right now, we see that you have superior teams that are joining the Web3 space, and the funding is not, at, is not as amply available to them as it was to mediocre teams a year ago, which puts you in a sort of like a survival of the fittest, because right now is the time when the next generation of cryptopreneurs are going to be raising money. And just like it was back in 2017 and 18, some of the success stories of today were the same guys that were struggling to raise money back in 18, back in, you know, they were really struggling to raise money. But guess what? Today, they're near protocol. Today, they are Uniswap. Today, they are One Inch. Today, they are Chainlink. Today, they are who they are, right? And this is what gives me the hope because it takes exceptional entrepreneurs. They're going to bring the adoption because that's the only way you can bring adoption in the space is by having exceptional entrepreneurs building exceptional products that actually solve needs out there. That's what's going to bring the adoption that we need. And we see a lot of these types of individuals basically raising money right now or trying to get into this space right now and find the solution to the problems that actually exist. And that's why I'm so bullish right now. And so we're so happy to work with anybody. You know, we haven't stopped. We haven't taken a break on the country. We work harder than ever before because that's where we're going to identify the next uh, decacorns and unicorns. And do you think it's from an entrepreneur standpoint and all the entrepreneurs that you meet, do you think it's, it's more about the bravery, the courage to enter into a market when it's a bear market? Or do you think it's more, it's, it's the grit that you need, the hustle that you need comes to shine stronger when, it, when the going gets hard, the, the hard get going or the tough get going type thing? What, what do you think is, is oh, yeah. That's a very, very good question, actually. I'm glad you brought, it, I brought that up because uh, what's unique is that everybody that I personally know that got into the crypto, got into the Web3 or whatever, right? They all yeah. were surprised by what was happening from the outside world. And they thought that because of their superior skill set or superior execution skills or their superior marketing abilities or whatever, they would be able to basically checkmate any available primitive or any available company that exists, project or protocol that exists in Web3 right now, right? So they'd be able to easily checkmate them only to come to realize that the way things work in crypto are completely different from the way things work in traditional business or you know, in Web2 or whatever you want to call it, right? From the legacy, like you said earlier, right? Yeah. And then they all have this period when they have a learning curve and they're like, wait a second, do I really know that I understand the business? Do I really want to stick around with it? Because the easy money that I thought that I would make because I'm a genius or God's gift to humanity, I don't see that it's feasible. So do you want to stick it out or do I want to find a different vertical for me to basically use my time and resources? And that's when you have this churn of entrepreneurs that happen and the exceptional ones that are here for the right reasons and they already understand the dynamic and how it works, they actually stick around and they're the ones that create, uh, you know, the big things that uh, become mainstream afterwards in the state. But that's one thing that uh, definitely like entrepreneurs that want to come, put your ego aside, 
we understand, we appreciate and respect that you had a lot of accomplishments, you know, but now we need to understand that you're in the Web3 space and it's governed by its own set of rules and by its own set of uh, dynamics that you need to understand before you can actually come arrogantly and say, I'm going to, you know, uh, take over it and conquer it. Yeah, no, I, 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 I definitely, I mean, I, you feel that and, and you feel that the industry sort of is going through, on the one hand, we are going through a new set of talent coming in. And I feel that we've gone from really this, this, this crypto only sort of let's token, create money out of thin air type concept mm-hmm. to all of a sudden it's like, how do we build something of utility and then how do we build sustainable long-term value associated with that, which takes time, right? You don't do that in one or two days um, or in a quick ICO and then vault. Um, however, I do feel that in this, this industry, we've, we've actually had the ability to create a story, build the hype, list the token, and then use the funds that we gain from listing and raising to then actually go and build and f- pursue that promise. Um, and I think you are in an extremely um, fortunate yet difficult position to always be able to identify who those individuals are that are actually going to be able to follow up and pursue um, and execute and commit to this. Absolutely. How do you, as an I'm asset allocator, you know, how do you... It's the hardest you... thing out there. It's Sorry. the hardest thing. It's the hardest thing in the world to find and depict the winners. And yeah. for us, you know, it's... Uh, for us, it's people's first business, you know what I mean? What we care about are the people that we actually are doing business with. And what we care about are how resilient those people are and how driven they are. And what's the reason why they're doing what they're doing? What, what's the fundamental reason... Why are they coming into the space? You know what I mean, and why are they building in the space? Is that because they want to get rich quick, or is that because they really believe that they want to change the world? You know what I mean? They believe that they actually can do something yeah. that can, you know, bring a greater good. I'll give you, you as an example. You know what I mean? Without going far, right? And what you've been building with Truflation. Yeah. I personally have been thinking for a while, like, why the heck do we have to wait once a month? And it's like the same in every single country in the world. Basically, you have to wait once a month. For some yeah. dude to come out and say, hey, guys, here's the race. Good luck. Have a good day. God bless you. You know what I mean? And then afterwards, you have to wait for another two weeks for you to understand how another guy that's basically running the show, the central bank or whatever, right, as to what his opinion is on the number that were said a couple of weeks ago. You know what I mean? And it's basically like we're in a stage right now where we're one click away from anything. And I was like, why is there not a way for us to track the real-time economic data in the world for us to see it in real time and get the data that we need. You know what I mean? Because we're no longer in a stage as a humanity, right? We're no longer at a stage where when we want something, we don't get it right away. Otherwise, we get depressed. You know what I mean? I mean, that's just the reality about humanity right now. We just need the data right now, and that's it. And we don't care what the data is going to cost us. We don't really care about – we just want to make sure that the data is quality and it's available on demand. And uh, you're creating this and, you know, your background is also stellar with what you have done in the world, right, in, in your life and so forth and so forth, right? That was a no-brainer for me. You know, a great guy, great team, solving a challenge, solve the challenge that I believe is needed in the future of the space. What else is there to think about, yeah. right? And, uh, you know, we're looking for people like you with a, 
uh, with a flashlight in every single corner of the world. So not only in Israel, <laughs> but everywhere. Everywhere. I think that's been an interesting um, uh, you know, evolution, with, with, particularly with blockchain. And, and it's been a very global phenomenon. And the traditional hubs where innovation took place had expanded very quickly beyond those hubs, right? Very quickly, you saw pockets of innovation happening outside in new cities, in new, new areas, right? And um, yeah, how have you found that? I mean, you, you, yeah, it's like, how have you stretched your network and relationship into a global environment from Israel itself, right? How, how's that journey been? That's a great question as well. I mean, we're lucky because we're the association. We're basically yeah. like partnered up with a whole bunch of associations all over the world, yeah. which made yeah. our life very easy for us to do the diligence on people and who the people yeah. really are. And that just was been extremely helpful for us. But on the yeah. other hand, uh, it's also, you have to know what you're just looking for and they have to be the, like a, I'm personally, I don't understand much about a lot of things, but one thing that I do care, that I've cared about a lot is sociology and studying just the, people for who they are, the humanity yeah. for who they are. And I call myself a people's person and I think that I'm a people's yeah. person. And I'm lucky to say that I have studied uh, a lot of people in my life. And yeah. um, that's what makes my life and you know our life a lot easier. The, combined with the fact that we have people with the boots on the ground that help us do the diligence on them. And then as it said, uh, good reputation is worth its weight in gold. And it really is, yeah. or it's worth its weight in yeah. ledgers or whatever you want to say, right? Yeah. It's worth its weight in bits. But, uh, and we're proud of that because, you know, you do the work, the work that you do is good. People talk about you and then people just, uh, spread the word and bring their friends and, uh, have exposure. Yeah. And, and, and working, you know, having worked with you now over the uh, last year and, and we work pretty closely together and, and that's what I love about it. I know how you manage to balance you work your ass off, excuse my language, but you know, you're always available. Every time we have a chat, you're no matter what day, except certain times they are sort of very holy to you and they don't move. You won't budge. This is my family time and I'm sorry. I'm about to go and spend time with family and I'm out, right? And Or I'm on vacation and this is the time you can get me maybe once or something if it's really drastic. But I love that element where you just really – you know, you're so committed to the things that you, you have in life, which is, yeah, you don't see that that much, you know, and it, it's good Thank to see. Thank you so much. Thank you yeah, very much yeah. for that. It's the passion, man. It's we're, when you're yeah. passionate about what you're doing and you really believe. And most importantly, when you see the impact that you have on people, right? Uh, when you work with them, yeah. it's just so uh, satisfying. It's so, you know, it's just how to put it. You feel self-actualization on a different level completely. And me yeah. personally, like, you know, everybody has their own little mission in their life. I personally feel like God Almighty created me uh, for me to help people. They need people with people skills. And that's why yeah. I'm here. So that's why a lot of these technically oriented founders, you're not one of them, by the way, because you're also uh, quite charismatic yourself. <laughs> it's not the point. But a lot of these people that are like super, super technical, sort of like our yeah. computers themselves, right? Like AI computers themselves, that's who they are. Yeah. And they don't really have this people skill that's attached to it. And us being able to bring that human aspect into code is what uh, has we, what we have found to be the most successful and most beneficial for startup founders in the space in general. And in by the way, in big companies as well, you'll be surprised 
how many people in big companies, you know, they are running their departments, Web3, they call it, Metaverse, they call it, yada, 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 yada. But they just, you know, they understand code. They understand the dogma. They don't understand the human aspect to it. And I think that we're still like years away till code is going to be the law, right? We're still ways ahead till that's going to happen. Until then, it's like humans are the ones that are controlling the code and helping make a better code. So that's what we're here to help out with. And, and, and how do you feel? You know, that, to me, that's really important. And I feel that's one thing that adding that flavor of human element into blockchain and crypto will help propel us into the next sort of sphere of, of users or ex, you know, accelerate sort of the adoption of users. Um, how, you know, when we talk about Web 5, it's Web 3 meets Web 2, and then it comes out Web 5, hocus pocus. And, but how do we bring that humanity element into there? Or where do you see that coming from? And, and how and, and does that manifest itself? It's a difficult question, know, right? It's a good question too. Like I, like I said this all the time that I personally asked me earlier what I think about Web3. I think that Web3 is a very marketable and very ambitious pipe dream that we're yeah. like, you know, years away from it. I want to yeah. invest and I want to help people that do Web 2.5. You know what I mean? That's yeah. going to get us there. And it's going to yeah. bring the theory down for the actions that are going to support the, you know, uh, the actions moving forward. I personally think that, like, yeah, I think that the the fact that the kids right now are more excited about crypto coins than they are about stocks, that's a good yeah. indicator. Because I remember when I was 14 years old, I was researching the stock market because back then you had Google Finance and you can check out the PE ratios and so forth and so forth. It was cool and exciting. But right now, kids yeah. don't care about stocks unless it's GameStop or something, right? But they, they just care about NFTs. They care about crypto coins because they have this, sort of like this cause and effect that it's cool, it's profitable, and it's the future. And those are the kids that basically are going to grow to first go into the middle management of the companies, and then afterwards, hopefully, go into the higher management of the companies. And this is already going to be normal for them, the particular processes that crypto brings. And that's where we're really going to see the full adoption. I think that we're definitely years ahead until the enterprise will see it for more than just uh, a way to invest and make 10x, you know what I mean? And yeah. uh, once a psychological switch happens, where people start using this, not because it's uh, you know potentially profitable, but because it's uh, utilities there, I think yeah. that's what's going to basically drive the Web3 adoption that we all are looking for. Yeah, I think there was a report, I, I can't remember who printed it, but there was a report that was saying any kids between or people between 18 and 25 were, you know, 50% more likely or all had crypto assets, were all investing in crypto assets over any other asset class, right? And so to your point, and then you combine that with the transfer, you know, where the boomers are now going to transfer their $65 trillion worth of wealth across into this next generation, where does that go to? How, how are they going to be deploying the funds? And I think that's really what's um, accelerating this, this new platform and, 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 and new innovation in this space. But how do you feel, you know, with, with that being said, there's a lot of regulation coming in as well, right? But because, regulation is good. Regulation is yeah. good. Yeah. Think of it this way, right? Crypto for the past, 
it was sort of like wild wild west you know what i mean like yeah if you look at it like let's say american express and wells fargo which are the two of the largest yeah. 10 financial companies in the world right believe it or not they have the same founders and people don't know it but the founders of wells fargo are also the founders of american express and who those guys were there were guys that basically knew how to sling a gun and they knew how to transport money on a carriage from one place to another one and uh, they had the security system of pinkertons that if the you know all the wild wild west cowboys were coming to intercept they knew how to protect the money and that's how american express and wells fargo started because they knew how to transport money from one place to the other right and that's what we're seeing right now as well that you know hackers are these uh, wild wild west heroes the and, outlaws, uh, yeah. are the outlaws exactly and you have these pinkertons that are trying to protect the states right and that's just the reality what we're seeing right now as well now when regulation comes in already and one of the biggest innovations that actually brought down uh the robberies of those uh transfer cargoes if you look at historical speaking was when the u.s government printed a million dollar bill and a hundred thousand dollar bill which was only for one purpose and that was for them to be able to transfer money from one bank to another one without having to fill out a carriage with cash right and that was one of the yeah, innovations yeah. that actually skyrocketed the financial system afterwards because it removed the threat right and regulation in the space is only going to give ability to people to say i trust the system i trust this you mm -hmm. know what i mean and the good news came a couple of days ago when gary gensler the you know the, from sec he said that he was more than happy to transfer bitcoin to cftc at that point if cftc is regulating bitcoin it's a commodity so if i'm a 65 year old you know what you said if i'm a boomer right and i want to diversify into commodities right guess what bitcoin is a commodity and it's official and if bitcoin is a commodity it's going to open up a whole bunch of different vehicles of how people can buy it and as we all know when bitcoin is going up the entire crypto system is happy with it when bitcoin is not going up the whole entire altcoins or whatever you want to call it is suffering right and uh, i think that i truly believe that regulation is only going to help bitcoin and it's only going to help crypto and it's going to bring a lot more flow will the outlaws like josie wells is he still going to be able to make a lot of money from it no will the anarchists still be able to you know do things and uh, the whole, uh, you know, terrorism financing or some of the stuff that the bad guys are doing, will they continue to be able to do that? No. But is it going to bring additional new players that are going to replace those guys? Heck yeah. So I'm all for it. Yeah, no, I think that's that's a good good view uh, on 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 what's happening, right? I mean, I think one thing that I'm I'm concerned about in this area is that making sure that the regulators are still helping and supporting innovation versus just protecting the incumbents, right? And, and so to me, I think, how do we have a regulatory framework that allows for this innovation and for disruption so that the youth have new jobs and the opportunity to create new wealth versus just being a big multinational and having to be an employee at a big multinational? See, I, I agree with you, and I think that's where the framework actually comes into the play because, yeah. as I said earlier, you know, like, uh, have a look at this. Like, if you look at the banking sector, right, or the stock market in general, yeah. right, until the Great Depression happened, there was no Securities and Exchange Commission. 
And anybody basically who wanted to underwrite a stock could just go into the stock market and say, hey, I'm selling shares of ABCD, blah, 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 right? And it was yeah, easy yeah. at first. And when they said, we're going to start STC when, you know, FDR and the whole thing happened, he said, I want to start the Securities and Exchange Commission. Everybody was like, oh, no, it's going to ruin the innovation, blah, 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 right? But in reality, what it did is gave framework for other people that thought themselves superior to the merchants that were in the stock market, they thought, okay, now I have framework and legal framework of how to do it. And this is my boundaries. That's what I'm allowed to do. That's what I'm not allowed to do. So how do I channel my powers? Because this thing still is exciting to me. How do I channel my powers into this? And since then, yeah. we had the most amazing growth in the financial markets ever yeah. possible. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I hope that something similar is going to happen to crypto as well where all of a sudden it's no longer a gray area where it's quasi-regulated, quasi, yeah. you know, thought of and so forth and so forth. If it's regulated, if it's clean, it's kosher, it's legit, you're going to have more people that are going to think within the framework of how can I make something happen within the rules that I'm given. You know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. hopefully that's what's going to actually push the innovation even further and skyrocket it. Yeah. And I think that's that's sort of why, you know, we're doing what we're doing with Truflation, right? We're just really trying to streamline a lot of the workload, right? So that we can actually just capture a lot of this and take a novel approach and bring that out on a daily basis, not on a monthly basis with a one, one month time lag as well, right? And so... Those were just things that ultimately these new technologies, not only the new technologies, but just novel approaches to some of the uh, uh, historic approaches, which are more than a decade, uh, a century old, um, you can do. Um, but I think on, on, that, on that note, it's just also from a, a, a regulatory standpoint, we've seen a lot of changes and a lot of guidelines or recommendations or reports come out from the different regulators. Um, and there are sort of, you know, sort of from the different, the big institute, the IMFs, you know, and the FSBs, the White House, you know, the SEC does the report, the, you know, the, I don't know, all these different institutions have done these reports. Do you think, you know, given that crypto has generally been a very global phenomenon with node operators and validators and miners around the world, how do you think you're going to manage jurisdictions and different regulation across different countries? How do you think that's going to evolve, particularly if it's a global phenomenon? I don't think that... Um... I personally think that one of the reasons why they cannot regulate this is because yep. innovation is outpacing the pace at which these yep. guys are putting out reports. You know what I mean? Yep. Once they figure out what layers want, once they figure out what a Bitcoin was, then you have this yep. new concept called layer one. And yep. when they figure out what layer ones were, then you had layer twos. And when they yep. figure out what layer twos were, they, then you had all this DeFi and GameFi and SpainFi and MoveFi and... I don't know, like all these different <laughs> applications, NFTs. right? Metaverses, <laughs> NFTs. So now they're going to figure this out. And guess what? You're going to have this new dudes that just came and they just, they're fundraising right now. Or they just finished yeah. their fundraising not long ago. They're going to come up with the next set of different applications. And, uh, you know, 
uh, infrastructure project where regulars are going to say like, wait a second, we just invested in a whole bunch of energy into finding, researching this, but now it's all futile because we have all these different like cases that we haven't even thought about. And that's why I think that the best thing that regulators can actually do is have uh, the voices basically come from the inside. And yep. that's why they should just come up with a framework, a regulatory yeah. framework, right. and yep. say that this is what you're allowed to do, this is what you're not allowed to do, go figure out the rest of it. You know what I mean, yeah. instead of finding every single detail, like, okay, so, you know, this guy's in Switzerland, this guy's in Israel, this guy's in America, that guy's in Georgia, so who gets what, blah, 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 Good luck regulating that ever, you know what I mean? Good luck, yeah. definitely good luck. Yeah. But yeah. just giving a framework out and just saying, like, Ten Commandments, this is what you shall yeah. do, this is what you shall not do. That's it, yeah. you know? Yeah. No, I like that, and I think that's that's the way that ultimately will will foster innovation and, and allow for accelerated creation of new opportunities and new jobs and uh, new wealth right which is which is I think what we need in this world and and what youth is looking for you know for sure on that yeah on that note I think one other thing that 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 I I, I think is, is really interesting is you mentioned, you know, sort of all these different innovations, new layer ones, layer twos, and layer threes that are evolving. How do you feel, you know, sort of, you're, you're sort of somewhat chain agnostic, right? You're not tied to a specific layer one or layer two mm -hmm. or layer three. How do you navigate and, and what do you look for when you look at a layer one or a layer two? What, what do you look, I mean, ultimately you've said the team is really important. Um, but, you know, and then there's the other philosophy as everything and everyone gets tokenized, how are we going to manage? Is there enough block space to manage that? What's your view with the different chains? What do you look at at the different chains and the different layer ones? Uh, and, and, and what are you seeing sort of next 2023? I personally think that right now we have too many layer ones for now. And okay. I don't believe that the whole world is going to be tokenized. I do not believe that. Okay. Yeah. I think it's going to be confusing. It's going to be extremely hard if that happens. Yeah. And it's not going to be simple anymore. And I personally am a big fan of uh, Ethereum has a standard called 1155. I don't know if you heard of yeah. it or not, which is tokenized NFTs. <laughs> it's NFTs that have tokens uh, within the code. Uh, there's NFTs and tokens in one. In NFT. Okay. And uh, I personally think that that's a very good glimpse of what the future might look like because a lot of these tokens will be absorbed into NFTs and the trading, this will give some sort of uh, intrinsic value to those NFTs. And uh, the trading is going to happen by the NFT trading that's going to be happening. You know what I mean? Because otherwise, if the whole world is tokenized, then you're running into a big, I mean, can you imagine if you were just to interact with an app, if you actually had to go through like 150 or 300 coins for you to choose one that fits the particular, you know, action that you want to take, right? Yeah. I don't think it's like, now if everything is tokenized, and if I go to a grocery store, supermarket tomorrow, and those guys have their own coin, and, uh, you know, I decide to purchase something, right? Like, that means what? I have to go and look for, uh, what's the grocery store tokens? You know? so I don't think that everything will be tokenized. <laughs> I think that's like, you know, utopia. But I do okay. believe that 
when it comes to tokenization, there are certain things that need to be tokenized, and then there are certain things that should not be tokenized at all. You know what I mean? Just shouldn't yeah. be tokenized at all. And uh, that's why I hate whenever people come with what I call forced utility for a token. And uh, yeah. I think that it's fake and it's uh, like it's a red flag for us. You know, when people say, "What is your utility?" Oh, governance and you know staking, and that's our model. Blah blah blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, amazing. Good luck. Yeah, for sure. We'll go find somebody else. So that's a forced tokenomics model, right? But when yeah. somebody has to, you know, sort of like what you guys are doing at Trueflation, I don't know if the information is public yet or not, but I think that your token is actually making sense. It's actually a utility that's, you know, embedded within the information that I get in return. This actually makes sense. You know what I mean, yeah. So, yeah, we haven't actually announced it yet, but but we are working. I mean, when we first started, we just had. I mean, to, you know, I mean, we go through a journey, right? And um, we first launched with just a, a governance token, right? It was a, a DAO that we set up, and um, and at the time, that was the, the thing to do, right? And 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 so over time, though, we and you actually were one of a, a strong proponent in actually sort of making us pushing us outside our box in terms of. Think differently, right? Come up with the utility. You need to think differently. And so you pointed us in, in some really good directions and, and we got some humble advice from some very smart individuals that you introduced us to as well. And, and, and that allowed us to formulate. And then we tested that with developers and we got their feedback. We formulated that. We then tested it again. And it's a process of Practice, improve, practice, improve, practice, improve, play, improve, right? And that process is an ongoing daily activity. You can't just sit down and, oh, I've done it. I don't need to change it anymore. We never need to. It's, it's that constant work at it, which I think is really important. And, yeah, is, is something that every entrepreneur has to go through in the product market fit discovery phase, right? I uh, agree. And that's, that's the question that I think the founders should ask themselves, right? Like, token can be a great user acquisition tool. Don't get me wrong. It's yeah. a wonderful one, right? Token can be a great rewards tool for retention purposes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Token can also be a great monetization tool as well. You know what I mean? Yeah. But the question is this, that the founders and the startups really have to think as to what challenges, at what time do you want token to solve for you, other than just raising money because we're in the bull market and every, every single token project gets funded, right? So you actually ask yourself a question like, how does token solve the issues that I currently have? Is it the payment issue? Yep. Once again, is it could it be the marketing stuff, acquisition, retention, monetization, all of those things, evangelization, gives you the ability to do all that, right? Or do you really need governance do you really want decentralized governance to govern the protocol? You know what I mean, or do you really want there to be like, if it's staking, then what sort of rewards are you giving them in return for them staking, right? So, like, instead of just like copying and pasting because somebody did something and it was powerful, I think that more founders just think as to what is that we want done and what is that we want token to accomplish within our ecosystem. Yeah, def I mean, def I mean, I think, you know, um, not just having it and, and, and shift time, things shift, right? I mean, you know, having a token in 2017 was a must, right? If you didn't have a token, nobody would get raised your money and the, <clears throat> there was no point in building on the blockchain, right? Why are you doing that, right? 
But I think today you look at the trend at the moment, it's very much have an equity company, give me shares and then figure out and with a warrant in the token, right? In, in the future release of a token when and if appropriate, right? And then that gives you time to then figure out what the right utility could be and creating value associated with that. But then you go back, you know, 12 months, it was all about the DAO. You know, you had to set up everything as a DAO. And so you had governance tokens, right? So it's, it's like very much the, the times evolve. And one of the things that I do find, and, and I'm, I'm curious your thoughts on this as well. You, got, you know, you looked at 2009 when Bitcoin first came around. It was to provide an alternative system to the existing financial system. And it happened right at the gate, you know, great, great financial crisis that the global financial crisis that happened. And now it sort of seems to be moving where into, oh, how do we adapt this new system into the old system versus how do we, or, or is it a bridge? Is it acting as a bridge? Where, where are we at in the devolution? And do you think we're creating new systems and getting the old system to adopt the new system? Or are we having new systems move to the old system because there's a lot of tried and tested experience in the old systems that could use some innovation. It's a great point. Like I was thinking when the whole Celsius, Luna, three arrows, all of that, you know, happened. I was like, if Satoshi is alive, he's probably spinning in his grave. He's probably like committing suicide right now. Like what the heck did I just do? Because yeah, in a yeah. sense, it was very similar that like a Lehman Brothers and, you know, Bear Stearns in 2008. And now you have basically the same thing that happened in the crypto world, right? Yeah. And uh, it is what it is. But I think that eventually it's, it's at the end of the day, it's all about supply and demand. You know what I mean? Yeah. Meaning that as long as there is demand coming for one particular vector within the space, then the supply will happen. So if there's more TradFi's that are going to be ones that are going to be adopting uh, blockchain and crypto and uh, so forth and so forth, right? Then you will see probably them skewing it towards their side and the rules that they're used to because they cannot, I mean, when you're a big TradFi company, right? If you make a 1% shift in your strategy, that's already considered big change. You know what I mean? Yeah. Let alone if you have to make 10%. But when you tell them that, listen, this is the way we're used to doing things and now you have to do 180, then it's like, you know, good luck getting that passed on the board of directors that are like, you know, in their 70s and 80s and still think that, uh, you know, uh, like the real boomers, right? So I think that whoever the demand is going to come from is the one that's going to skew the principle towards what they're used to. And uh, without with them having to have minimal change for them to absorb the innovation that's coming from our side. And I think that that's the, you know, that's the missing point that you have a lot of people that are demanding and they're waiting for this shift to happen, but they haven't seen it happen yet. And I think that it's getting closer and closer. The gap is being bridged. And that's where I think already regulatory framework is going to come in. And it's going to basically green light and say, all right, you have permission to do that. At which point it's going to be going to the set of rules that were, you know, not made by Satoshi, but made by uh, banks and the bankers and, uh, you know, JP Morgan and those guys, right? So uh, Rothschilds and I don't know, all of those good guys from back <laughs> in the day, right? <laughs> 
And, and I think, you know, I mean, sort of evolving that conversation, right? So these banks, these regulators and, and, and these institutions um, or, or, or departments of offices and government offices, they're all dealing with a whole bunch of things at the moment, right? They've got inflation, they've got supply chain, they've got energy requirements, they've got a whole set of issues that are sitting on their table at the moment. And it's like, um, but two countries and, and inflation is, is really big, right? Because that's a second tax on people and people really feel inflation because it hits the shopping cart where I get my food from, right? And so can I feed and keep everybody fed, right? So controlling that is really important. But two countries around the world, one is Switzerland, where I'm at right now, doesn't seem to have been infected by inflation. But so really, I mean, Israel hasn't been infected by inflation too much either, right? Uh, it how, actually how has do you think been. these countries different? Oh, oh, yeah? Okay. What's interesting is that Israel and Switzerland are probably bad examples because okay, Israel yeah. is the most expensive country in the world. Tel Aviv is the most expensive city in the world. And Zurich is number two right after. So <laughs> it's already expensive. That's so who cares, right? <laughs> who cares, right? That's just the reality. Like, who cares? It's already expensive. I go so. from I go from 50% margin to 45% margin. <laughs> exactly. You know what I mean? So who cares, right? It's like, you know, whatever. But what's unfortunate is that a lot of the struggles that we actually have to deal with, but we're already used to it, right? Other people are now realizing that, uh, you know, it's also happening to them. And they're not budgeted for properly because one of the things that, you know, Swiss people and Israeli people have in common, we both know a thing or two about money, right? Or how to manage money yeah. properly, right? Yeah. And it's something that comes generationally, right? Your father taught you how to deal with money before he taught you how to read alphabet. Same thing with my father, yeah. right? That's what his yeah. obligation. And we know this. We know how to fund ourselves properly, that if the worst-case scenario happens, you have this, you know, uh, safety net that's going to help you out. And a lot of people don't come with this sort of a mindset, and yeah. those are the ones that are oh, probably no. getting hurt by the price rises the most because they don't know how to absorb it because they already are, like, overstretched themselves. But I found that was really, you know, to your point, right, that educational element, how to deal with money in, in life, right? What's the difference between leasing your car versus getting a credit from the bank or, you know, the loan shark, right, or, or something like How do I calculate the difference? What do I need to do to afford a mortgage? What's my income need to be? What's the term of the mortgage? What's the interest variability that I need to take into account? All of those things, right? How do I educate early on versus math one plus one equals two okay that's great i now know how one plus one equals two but how do i then take mathematics into more economic frameworks that i can then use in real life um i think that if we have education on that that also helps people as they enter into crypto as well will be really helpful and i personally right. think that that's where you come into the play as well because you're giving this basically uh you know ultimate primitive for people to build upon and build yep. a whole bunch of different applications for them to you know use the data that you're giving them you know what i mean yep. and at that point what what i find really interesting is that about 10 years ago i don't know if you remember but we had this whole thing called nail banking move boom that was yeah, happening yeah, all yeah, over yeah, the world yeah, yeah, and it was yeah. all about this you know uh robo advisors and this and that like you know yeah, 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 yeah. and what I find really interesting is that one of their shortcomings was that 
they didn't really give additional value to what a regular bank would. You know what I mean? And I think that that's where sort of like a data DAO like you, like the project that yeah. you give, like, you know, the data that you give, right, would actually give this neo banks and this, uh, you know, robo-advisors an edge that they cannot get anywhere else. Because imagine if, and this is already probably going a little bit more utopian, right? But I think that this day will happen that before you go to purchase something on your credit card and you definitely cannot afford it, right? For the system to actually tell you, listen, dude, the inflation is XYZ. If you're going to buy this right now, this is what's going to happen to you in the future. Do you want this or not? And if the answer is no, I don't want it. All right. So in that case, don't buy this, you know, $6 latte at Starbucks. Go buy it, you know, some instant coffee and mix it in the cup and drink it. Because that's what's going to save your life, right? So it's a very primitive um, way of looking at it as an example that I gave. But I do see that that was some of the things that these robo-advisors were actually missing 10 years ago. Yeah. And yeah. I do think that that's where the data that you're going to supply is going to give them the ability to, to attract users that they were never allowed to attract before because now they can market them and tell them, do you live paycheck to paycheck? Yes, you do. Do you think the situation is going to get worse before it gets better? I think it's going to get worse because, you know, uh, now they have came up with a report that there's a 100% chance that we're going to have recession next year, right, in America. So, oh, wow, really? 100% chance, you know, 100% chance, right? That's how I've been talking about it for a year, but now we have a 100% chance that we're going to have recession, right? But, like, that's where this kind of thing comes in, where they could use the data and say, wait a second, yeah, it's going to get worse, but that's how we're actually going to protect you from the storm that's yeah. coming. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's why you should use our application instead of somebody else, a different application, because that's how we're going to let you weather the storm. And when the good times come back, that's it. The playing field is going to be fixed. And, you know, it's like a biblical term of seven years of drought and seven years of plenty. Actually, the other way around. Seven years of plenty and seven-year drought. You know what I mean? So now yeah. we're in a seven-year drought. So whoever helps you survive it, Guess what? When the plenty comes, they're the ones that are going to reap the rewards. So, yeah, you know, that's what I think. And I think the other thing is, in these harder times and the ones that survive it, they build. You foster really good relationships because you help each other out. You know how you people react in harder times. In good times, everybody's buddy buddy and friends and friends, and everything goes seamless. Everything works. But in hard times, sometimes you just need to make a handshake. And I need to know, I need to know you, I can count on my counterparty, right? And it's, 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 it's very different in different times. And I think these, those relationships hold through in, in good times. Absolutely. Perseverance, you know? Yeah. yeah. Sur survival of the fittest. And it's not only the survival of the fittest, but the survival of the ones that are the most dedicated to the cause. Because, um, you know, like the good old term goes, bulls bang make money, bears make money, and hogs that get slaughtered. You know what I mean? And uh, right now it's those times that, you know. <laughs> I don't know. First time I've heard that. <laughs> oh, really? Come on. It's the classic. Yeah, yeah. It's the movie Wall Street. Classic with Michael Douglas and Charlie Sheen. You have to watch that movie, by the way. But uh, it's, the, it's the reality. You know, if you're bullish about something and you believe about something, guess what? Your time will come. If you're bearish about something and you wait it out, your time will also come. People that get 
slapped in the face are the ones that you know try to find the good times and jump around jump around jump around and not willing to survive the bad times until the good good times come it's the hardest thing in the world it's not easy god knows i mean you know it's the hardest thing in the world surviving those bad times and um but that's how champions are made that's how winners are made is the ones that train the hardest get the most amount of pain and then you know they get the gain afterwards yeah no and on that note i'm going to yeah be super happy and super thankful that, that you actually shared a lot of this advice um in this super exciting times even though it's hard if you are passionate and you are driven and you're ready to go down this path yeah th- these are the best times to now come out and shine and you meet the right people that will also support you through that journey and in that journey it's not always easy but if it were easy everybody would be doing it and there wouldn't be any special components and source to it the other thing that i learned at this call and i love learning something all the time is the founders of american express and wells fargo were the same i did not know that so that's another thing i learned so thank you yosef um super good uh with you how can people follow you and and where can they go to find out more about you and 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 your philosophies and also the iba linkedin is my platform of choice okay that's where you can follow so there me. you go thank you for that <laughs> thank you yosef a super good having you here thank you cheers man thank you for having me stefan ciao This was Stefan Roost and Josef Schaftal. You can follow Josef on LinkedIn at JosefSH. That's Y-O-S-E-F-S-H. You can also follow Stefan on Twitter at SRoost99. That's S-R-U-S-T-9. And you can find the Super Excited with Stefan Roost podcast on all major podcast platforms and on YouTube on the Stefan Roost channel. Thank you for listening.